Well, good morning, everybody. I am blessed to be in church with you today. And so I guess the good place to begin is just to thank you for blessing me by being here. I want to pick up where we left off last week. And for those of you who might be visiting with us for the first time, we are currently in a sermon series that revolves around the life of David. Last Sunday, we took a look at a story from David's life, and we learned a very sobering lesson. Somebody will pay for our silence. In last week's story, David withheld the truth from a man named Ahimelech. And it led to the massacre of an entire town. When David learned about the massacre, he admitted, It's my fault. This is on me. How could this have been David's fault? David admitted, I knew what was going to happen. And rather than speaking up, I chose to be silent. Someone paid for David's silence, and i got to believe that somebody somewhere down the line always pays for ours. Last week, we learned, or maybe we were reminded, that we are God's messengers. We're supposed to be telling others about Jesus... Nevertheless, at the conclusion of the service, there were many of us who admitted to God, I've grown silent. Like David, we're keeping the truth to ourselves. At the conclusion of the sermon, we all agreed that this was a time for honesty. So this morning, let's be honest with ourselves, okay? Why don't we tell others about Jesus? I'm asking you, how would you answer that question? And I'm asking you to answer it honestly. Please don't answer it out loud. If you're guilty of being silent, why aren't you telling others about Jesus? Many of you would answer, I shouldn't. Ronnie, I, I shouldn't be the one telling others about Jesus because I don't personally feel that that's my responsibility. Now, I heard what you said last week. I know what you believe. You believe that's the responsibility of all believers. But just be frank with you, Ronnie, I don't believe that. I believe that sharing this message, this good news about Christ is reserved for the chosen few. Preachers, teachers, evangelists, missionaries... I'm not telling people about Jesus because don't feel that I'm supposed to. I think it's somebody else's job. I hear this excuse quite often. But is this an acceptable excuse? Let's see what the Bible says. You and I could argue back and forth. You could, I don't think so. I could say, I'm sure. We, no, let's just let the Bible speak, okay? I want us to look at the book of Acts, chapter number 1 and chapter number 2. There are a few verses we're going to read together. And why the book of Acts? The book of Acts describes to us the formation and operation of the first church. 
And being the first church, they're to serve as our pattern, our example, our model. We're to look to them to know exactly what to do and how to do it. And just setting the stage, Jesus has already been crucified. He's already risen from the grave. He's preparing to ascend back to heaven. He's gathered the leaders of the first church around him, and he said, final instruction, guys, look at this. Acts chapter 1, verse 4. Once when he was eating with them, he commanded them, do not leave Jerusalem until the Father sends you the gift he promised, as I told you before. So what's he saying? He's saying, guys, don't jump the gun here. I got something I want you to do, but be patient. Don't try it until you receive the gift my Father has promised, speaking of the Holy Spirit. Now, why do they have to wait on the gift? Acts chapter 1, verse 8, we read this last week. Jesus said to them, but you will receive power or ability when? When the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you will be my witnesses. Here's why they needed the ability and what does a witness do? Telling people about me everywhere in Jerusalem, throughout Judea and Samaria to the ends of earth. So he's saying, guys, here's why I want you to wait on the Spirit. Because the Spirit will give you the ability. If you jump on it now, you don't have the ability. Wait on Him. He will give you the ability to do what I want you to do. So what do they do? Acts chapter 1 verse 14. Look at this. After Jesus ascended, the Bible said they, speaking of 120 believers, the, the original members of the church, met together and were constantly united in prayer, along with Mary, the mother of Jesus, several other women, and the brother of Jesus. As a matter of fact, for about 10 days, all 120 members of the church met together and they prayed together. And after those 10 days, Jesus kept his promise. He sent the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit indwelt all 120 of them. As a matter of fact, the Bible said he not only indwelt them, he filled them, which means he took control of them. They had to yield the control, but they did. And what did they do? Look at chapter 2, verse number 4. We're going to just hang with me. And, what's that word? I hope it's on the script. And, Every last one of them. Every member of the church. Everyone present was filled with the Holy Spirit and began speaking. Everyone filled with the Spirit. Everyone speaking. Look what? They were speaking in other languages. Known languages spoken throughout the world, but languages they'd never been trained in. And how were they able to do that? Look at this. As the Holy Spirit gave them this ability. Now that the Spirit is in them, they had an ability they did not have prior to being indwelt and filled with the Spirit. And what were they saying? Chapter 2, verse 11. Now you've got to understand there were Jews from all over the world who had come together uh, to celebrate this Pentecost. And they're here. And uh, what were they saying? Verse, chapter 2, verse 11. We're going to read the last sentence. This is what they said. And we hear all these people speaking in our own language about the wonderful things God has done. What percentage of the 120 people who made up the first church was involved in telling others about Jesus? What percentage? 100%. Every member of the first church was a messenger. And what impact did it have? 
If we went on and read the story, we would see that thousands of people became curious as they heard these people talking about God and His Son and what God had done for them through His Son. They became curious. The next thing you know, man, they gathered together by the thousands. And then one of the eleven, the Apostle Peter stepped up, and people, they were craving. They wanted to know more about this Jesus. He said, okay, if you want to know more, I'll tell you more. He began to tell them more about Jesus. And that day alone, 3,000 people accepted Christ. Let me tell you what they did. They put a real dent in the darkness that day. Now I'm going to say something, and you probably already think the message is negative, but I'm going to say something's going to sound really negative. Their results were quite a contrast from the results of the church of our generation. Me personally, I don't know of a single local church that's putting a real den in the darkness. I don't know of one. You say, what about us? I don't know. Let's just be honest with ourselves. I think Golden Corner Church is a, is a really good church, comparatively speaking. But guys, let's just be honest. We're not putting a dent in the darkness. The first church saw lives changed by the thousands and, and and man, I just I think if we said we're gonna be honest, let's be honest. I rarely see a life profoundly changed in our day. What's the difference? Most of the twenty first century church, excuse me, most of the messengers of the twenty first century church have gone silent. One of the reasons we assume that's somebody else's job. I hope they're taking care of it. I think for the past 75 years, church leaders have racked their brains trying to find ways to effectively reach unsaved people in spite of the fact that most of the messengers have gone silent. I think we've racked our brains trying to find programs. If we, if we had the right program in place, I think that program in and of itself might reach some people. Okay? We've had decades now, to look back on this, here's the conclusion. Programs don't reach people. I think toward the end of the 20th century and, and through the beginning of the 21st century, I think we started looking at creativity and technology. If we can do this and do that, maybe some social, throw in some social media here. We can find ways to reach these unsaved people, even though the messengers are silent. It's probably time to face reality and admit that creativity and technology are not going to reach anybody. Do I think we need to use these things? Let's use every tool we got. But they're not going to help us overcome the real issue. And the real issue is most of the messengers are silent. So what do you think we ought to do? I think we just need to admit our way is not working. And Golden Corner Church, uh, let's just speak for us, we need to become a church that's filled with messengers. That's what we need to become. What about you? Why aren't you telling people about Jesus? How would you answer that question? Please be honest. How many of you would answer like this? I, I couldn't. 
Ronnie, I just can't do that. I don't have the personality. I don't have the knowledge, the ability, the self-confidence to talk to people about Jesus. I just couldn't bring myself to do that. Ronnie, it's just not in me. I'm going to tell you, I don't think that's an acceptable excuse. I really strongly disagree with you. I think it is in you. Let me explain myself. I don't believe that speaking for Jesus comes naturally to anybody. I don't believe it does. I believe that speaking for Jesus is a supernatural ability. It's a God-given ability. And I believe that the ability resides in each of you. You say, how do you get that? Think back to what Jesus told the church before his ascension. Don't try this on your own. Wait for the Holy Spirit because He's going to give you the ability to tell others about me. What was Jesus saying? He was saying to 11 men whom He had personally mentored for three years, You ain't got what it takes. So don't try it. Don't you try this. Not yet. But when the Holy Spirit comes, He'll give you the ability... He will enable you to tell others about me. Now, here's the lesson. According to Jesus, no one has the natural ability to just start talking about Jesus to an unbeliever. Uh, You don't have it. I don't have it. Billy Graham didn't have it. Telling people about Jesus doesn't come naturally to anyone. However, when we were saved, something changed. The Holy Spirit moved into our body, and He has all the ability we need. You can talk to others about Christ because the Holy Spirit will help you. You understand the primary reason that God gave you the Holy Spirit as a gift, allowed Him to move into your body so that He's with you every day of every week, all of your life. Do you know the primary reason that He gave you that gift is so that the Holy Spirit could help you talk about Him. That's the primary reason He's in you. He'll help you if you'll let him. I pastored my first church up in Salem. And I remember preaching one morning. And after the service, the, a lady approached me. And she had a clipboard and a pen. And I could see that she had a list of names. And she said, Pastor, I don't know if you're aware of it, but we've got a couple of guys in the community who have started a bar. They've opened a bar. And so we're putting together a petition. We want to get enough names together that we can shut their business down. And so, here, she handed me the clipboard and the pen and said, sign it. Well, I didn't take the pen. A couple of things bothered me. Uh, One, was this the Christian approach? If we had a problem, was this the way we'd handle it? Hiding behind a petition? Filled with names, wouldn't Christian people, mature people, adult people, wouldn't they sit down and talk about something like this rather than, it kind of bothered me, I thought it was coward, I didn't say that to her. But I also thought about this, if we, the church in this community, effectively shut their business down, how are we going to win those two guys? Bothered me. So I told her, I said, if you don't mind, I'm not signing your petition. Now, you ought, to, you, you ought to be in my shoes and say that to a church member. We want to shut a bar down and sign this. I'm not signing. I said, let me tell you what I'd rather do. I'd rather go down and talk to them myself. So the next week, I'm praying. Thought came to me. Might be a good time. It's mid-afternoon. I drove down to the bar. Salem Saloon was what it was called. Really. 
I go down to the bar, walk in, there's a handful of guys there shooting pool, they're all drinking beer, there's two guys behind the bar. I walked up and said, my name's Ronnie Hodge, I'm the pastor of Calvary Baptist Church, uh, I'd like to talk to the owners. The two guys behind the bar said, we're the owners. I said, did you guys know that people are circulating a petition to get your business shut down? They said, we do. I said, I had a lady ask me to sign the petition, and I have refused to sign it. And they went, you did? I said, yeah, yeah. I'm not going to sign it. I said, I just thought that was a cowardly approach to this. I was hoping maybe we could talk. Would you tell me your plans, your ideas, what you're thinking? And would you give me an opportunity to express my thoughts on this? They said, yeah, they shared everything. I shared mine. Well, when I started sharing my thoughts, there were four or five guys around the pool table. One of them took offense at it, and boy, he jumped in, and he said something along the lines of, you religious people with your religious ideas shoving your religion down our throat. And, and I'll tell you, you could tell that he was really offended. I let him have his say, and then I just felt this nudge that I needed to respond. So I just started talking. Next thing I knew, man, I tell you what, this happened, it's, it's like a lightning bolt. I'm talking two minutes, three minutes. I explained to everybody in the bar the difference between Christianity and religion, why Christ had to come, why he died, talked about the significance of his resurrection, what people have to do to be Christians. Now, Christians are different from religious people. And I said, you need to understand something. I didn't come here today representing any kind of religion. I came here today representing Christ. Man, there was this stunned silence. These, they, they were stunned. I'm telling you, it probably took three minutes. I'm, I'm thinking, I wish I had recorded. I wish somebody had recorded that. That was good. <laughs> I, I, I walked out, and, I'm, and Scott, I'm amazed. I'm thinking, I'm just about to pat myself on the back and go, you nailed it today. And I realized something. I didn't know that was going to happen. I hadn't prepared for that. I didn't rehearse for any of that. Uh, That wasn't me. The Holy Spirit helped me. He gave me the right words at just the right time. That's where that came from. And I'll tell you, guys, he's in us wanting to do that over and over and over through the course of our lives. And if we'll just let him. Now, the excuses I shouldn't or I couldn't don't really hold up, do they? So let's be honest with ourselves. What's the real reason we've gone silent? If it's not, I shouldn't. And it's not, I couldn't. Could the real reason be, I wouldn't? If you're honest, would you say, Ronnie, that's it. That's it. You got it right there. To be perfectly honest with you, I've missed a lot of opportunities to tell people about Jesus because... I just wouldn't do it. I knew I should speak up. But I just wouldn't. Why not? Now, I think it's time for honesty. Why not? I think that's a question worth answering. In situations where we've known to speak and wouldn't, why did we choose silence? To answer that, I think we've got to go back to a little story from last week. I'll be brief with this. For those of you who weren't here, 
This is what happened. David was on the run. He was running from someone. King Saul had vowed to kill him. He's running for something. He's running for his life. His first stop as a fugitive was a little town called Nob. Inhabited primarily by priests and their families. He sought out a priest named Ahimelech. When Ahimelech saw David by himself, he was confused. He was curious. He said, David, what are you doing here alone? Where are your men? David lied to him. He said, the men and I were rendezvous somewhere. You know, we got a plan. But the reason I'm alone is King Saul has sent me on a top secret mission. I can't give you the details, but I will tell you this. It's such an urgent mission. I didn't have time to get food, supplies, weapons, so can you help me? Ahimelech gave him some bread, gave him a sword, actually prayed with him. Now, while they're interacting and this is going on, David noticed a man who was an eyewitness to everything that happened. The man's name was Doeg. Doeg was Saul's chief shepherd. He was a guy that desperately wanted to curry favor with King Saul. David said in the Bible, I knew it. I knew the minute I saw him that he was going to go tell Saul what happened. He said, I knew it. I knew that when Saul heard, he would misinterpret Ahimelech's actions and he would see Ahimelech as a conspirator, a willing assistant to me. David knew, oh, oh, I tell you what, what that is going to mean to Ahimelech is that he will, I not, will not only be a target for Saul, he will be too. And in that split second, he had a decision to make. Do I tell him the truth? And of course, we know that tragically, David made the decision to keep the truth to himself, to remain silent, and we know the tragic results. The question is, look at this. The question that has borne on my mind all week is why didn't David tell Ahimelech the truth? Why not? He should have, he could have, but he didn't. You know why? Man, this is profound. You ready? You get ready to get deep? Why didn't David tell this man the truth? He didn't want to. He didn't want to. David knew that he could have. David knew that he should have. David didn't because he didn't want to tell him the truth. Why not? I don't know for sure, but I think I can make some pretty good guesses. You ready for some good guesses? Good guess number one. It could have cost David if he told him the truth. If if Ahimelech had known the truth, it's very possible that he would have refused to have helped David. Say, give me that bread back. Huh? I can't let you have that. Give me the sword back. Dude. I'm sorry, but i got to think about my family and the safety. I'm sorry. He knew this could cost me. Guess number two, it would have slowed David down. David was in a hurry. We already took note of the fact that he was in such a hurry that he hadn't packed food or gathered up any weapons. David must have felt that he didn't have time to sit down and tell Ahimelech the whole story, and he sure didn't have time to go seek his help from an alternate source. Danger was imminent, and David wasn't a man on a walk. Right to David was a man on the run. Guess number three, I think David was afraid of rejection. As we'll see in upcoming stories, even though David was incredibly popular, most of the Israelites were afraid of and therefore extremely loyal to King Saul. 
Over and over again, people betrayed David. And I believe David feared that if I tell him the truth, it's going to lead to rejection and ultimately betrayal. Now, here's what I do know. David wanted to escape. That's what he wanted more than anything. And telling Ahimelech the truth could have prevented David from getting what he wanted. So when the opportunity to share the truth arose, David made a bad decision. Now, hang with me, man. We're landing the plane, and you don't want to miss a landing. You ready? So when the opportunity to share the truth arose, David made a bad decision. David chose his wants over Ahimelech's needs. Telling the truth could have cost David, so David made a decision. I'm not going to pay the price. Let somebody else pay the price. Man, here's the bottom line. David was silent because he was selfish. That's it. Silence was best for David. Therefore, he withheld the truth from people who desperately needed to know the truth. Now, there's a lesson in this we cannot afford to miss. Excuse me, selfishness can lead to silence. Okay, what was our objective this morning? We're going to be honest with ourselves. If you find yourself seldom, if ever, talking to other people about Jesus, you're a messenger going silent. You understand what the problem could be? You understand what the problem could be? Selfishness. This morning we're searching for an honest answer to the question, why have we, the church, gone silent? Maybe we need to make that question a little more personal. Why have I gone silent? Why have you gone silent? I want you to think back. I want you to remember a time when you felt strongly that you needed to talk about Jesus to somebody. Specifically, I want you to remember a time when you felt it strongly, but in the end, you didn't. You were silent. Why didn't you say something? Was it fear? What were you afraid of? Rejection? Were you afraid that talking to this person might jeopardize your relationship with them? They may start avoiding me. They may start looking at me in a different light. Were you afraid that the word might spread throughout your little circle, that you're some kind of religious fanatic and ultimately lead you to being criticized and ostracized? Were you afraid that you would get into a conversation that made you look foolish as they began to ask you questions? You're going, I don't know. I don't know. I want you to think about all those fears for just a moment. I want you to recognize something. They all revolve around you. Not others. Those fears arose from a self-centeredness. The truth is you were far more concerned with your well-being than their well-being. You chose silence because at that moment it was best for you. 
Now, guys, I'm going to tell you something. And I can tell you, right, I don't, I mean, there's not, not been a lot of standing ovations, applause, amens, or I love this sermon, you know, going on right now. But I'm going to just tell you the bottom line that I'm convinced of. Most of our silence stems from selfishness. To become effective messengers, most of us will have to change, and we know that. But change would require effort on our part. And we don't want to expend any effort. To become effective messengers, most of us will have to learn. But learning will also require effort. And we've already established the fact that I don't want to put any more effort out. Being an effective messenger requires time, and now that is a real obstacle for us because we've already chosen to invest our time into things we really want to do. Being an effective messenger requires sacrifice. We're going to have to open up our webs of relationship to people who aren't like us, and that can be so awkward, and we don't want to be awkward. Be an effective messenger, we must step out of our comfort zone. And who among us wants to be made uncomfortable? If we would really be honest with ourselves this morning, I believe that we'll all admit that our silence stems primarily from selfishness. We have placed our wants ahead of others' needs. We aren't telling others about Jesus because we're a lot like David. We just don't want to. Silence is easier for us. So silence it is. What do we do? Man, what do you do? I'm going to make it this simple. This is what I'm encouraging all of us to consider. Let's stop living a me-first life. Life was never meant to be all about us, was it? Jesus is supposed to be first. And what does he want? According to Acts 1.8, he wants us to be his messengers. So we need to stop putting our wants ahead of his will. Jesus is supposed to be first and others are supposed to be second. What do they need? They need someone to tell them about Jesus. So we need to stop putting our wants ahead of their needs. It's time to break the silence. It's time to go public with Jesus. It's time to break out of our cloistered, safe, Christian circles and walk into the darkness and tell people who are being held captive by the devil 
that there is a way out. And his name, the way has a name. The way out is a person. The way out is Jesus. Now what I'm going to do next week, very practical. Very practical teaching. Because every one of you sitting here, you've got this, your imagination is going crazy about, well, where are we going with this? He's, we're, going to, we're going to be out on the streets, knocking on doors, doing cold calls. Listen to me. There's a way to do this. It'll always be opposed by the devil. There'll always be a part of you that wants to resist this. But this is doable. This is doable. Jesus gave us a mission. Just tell him about me. In order to help you do that, I'll give you God in spirit to live in you to help you do that. Man, there's got to be a way to access that ability to turn him loose. I'll show you what to know. Next week. Let's pray together. Lord, you know what I want? I want you to change us. I know this, that in just this county, there are tens of thousands of people held captive in the darkness, missing out on everything that you had planned for them. Cheated out of life to the full, eternity in darkness waiting on them. You want to change them. But before you can ever change them, you're going to have to change us. Because we're the messengers. We're the messengers who know the way out. And so, God, I don't want these to be sermons that we listen to and forget. I want you to change us. Lord, I want the church to be a church full of messengers, but I'll settle for this. I want Golden Corner Church to be a church full of messengers. You lead us where to go from here. And you help us become what you want us to be. 
and start doing what you put us on this earth to do. In the name of Jesus, we ask it together. Amen. Thank you for being here today. I know this was a tough one, but you're tough. I appreciate you taking it.